Welcome back, everyone. Today we're going to start something new called Histaklut Pnimit, which literally translates into an inner look or a deeper look. And what we're going to do in this section is it's going to sound a little bit like review sometimes, which review is always good. But within the review, we're going to go deeper into every topic we've covered so far. Let's begin. Rashid Kol Tzrichim Nadat, this is Ravash Lag writing, that before everything you need to know, Everywhere where we're dealing with spiritual things, that are separate or um, disrobed from time, space, and motion. Meaning, anytime we're dealing with godly things, spiritual things, whatever you'd like to call it, we don't have the words to fully cover or understand these concepts. Our entire dictionary of words, our entire reservoir of words, are taken, like our human language, are taken from the imaginative or imagine or imagined senses and i want to drive home that point that Shakir is calling you know sight hearing touch taste smell like all all the different senses that we have he's calling them imag- imagined or imaginative meaning that they're not they don't grasp reality because reality is what's happening above we are in this physical world of illusion <laughs> And how can we use those in a place where sense or imagination doesn't, it doesn't rule there. In the spiritual worlds, this illusion, this physical illusion falls apart. Kilamashal, for example, or as a metaphor. Even if you take the most esoteric or the the least physical word that we have in our language, uh, for example, light. When we use the word light, the actual word, the definition is talking about the light of the sun or the light from a light bulb or maybe even that you feel light, that you feel nice, it feels good, but it's still related to physical things. So how can we use these words to talk about spiritual things that it won't that these words won't won't help the person who's studying us won't help us understand anything about the truth. And you don't need to say that in a place where we need to reveal through these words, so we have to reveal these words, meaning we have to study this thing through our words, because we don't have another way to study it, through writing on a book, in the, in the, in the aspects or topics of uh, exchange with wisdom, which we'll get into that later, like is like is the tradition in every type of invest every type of investigative wisdom. Again, we'll get into it. There, if they fail, so when we're when we're 
looking through, when we're investigating through our language, which is the best we can do, if we make a single mistake, one word off, the person will become confused to the point where within this topic, they won't know where the hands and their feet are. What Rav Ashlag is trying to say is that because we don't have a proper vehicle to understand the spiritual world above, we have to be extremely exact and we have to be very careful because if a little bit we go off, we go off what the correct, what the truth is, everything will become confused. Therefore, the wise men of Kabbalah, the wise men of this knowledge, chose to themselves a special language. What's this language? Which we're going to call the language of branches. What do we mean? Since we don't have any way to physically contact or observe the spiritual worlds from from this world. So we also don't have anything in this world that doesn't have a root in the spiritual world. Meaning, it's true that we can't, as humans, fully understand the spiritual world because we're too far separated, but everything, everything that happens, every existence in this world, in this physical world, has its root in the spiritual world. The beginning of every identity in this world started in the upper world. And then it spread, it came here. So the wise men of Kabbalah, the Ari, Ravashlag, all the people that came before us, and they found this language that takes away the F, to, that helps us with the, how hard it is to try and relate to the spiritual worlds through physical examples. That they're now they're able to pass on from generation to generation their understanding, whether it's on a book, whether it's um, teacher to student down the line. They took the names of the branches that we have in this world. We're not talking about physical tree branches right now. What do we mean by branch here? Every physical thing has its root in the spiritual world. So if you want to imagine all of existence, all of creation is one big tree then the outermost tip of the branches would be the most physical things, our world. And the where the roots are the deepest would be the most spiritual place, the essence. And then along the way, you have the whole spectrum. You have the different worlds until we get to the physical one. So the way that we're going to talk about spirituality is based on what we can see in the branches we're going to go back, we're going to reverse engineer the whole process down to the roots. But remember, every name that we give something in a spiritual realm is not, don't try and compare it to physical things. It's just the best we can do with our language. So, 
And this way you'll, your mind will rest. When you see all these seemingly weird things that it says in books of Kabbalah, which are even sometimes contradictory to natural human intuition. Because now that they've chosen this language, the language of branches, so how can they, now that they're using this language of branches, how can they only, how can they use this name, the name of this branch and talk about something from the root level? How can they not exchange different branches for each other, the names of different things for each other? So it's saying just like there's two goats don't uh don't suckle from one uh from one female goat. We don't have two branches in this world that talk about the same thing in the spiritual world. Every branch that we're going to talk about here, whether we use the word light or space, time, motion, all of these things are branches that we're using to go and talk about spiritual concepts. And every single one of them, it's a one-to-one ratio. We don't have two branches here that go back to one source. So, furthermore, what we have to be careful is not to lose or to confuse this these words of wisdom, meaning we have to be, very again, very careful, word for word, translate as best as possible. Because if we don't, it'll create a big confusion. Until the point where we won't know anything about anything in the world. Because everything will be so interconnected and confused. In the, in the ways of the cause and effects, uh, Drawer and receiver, or sorry, drawer and that is that which is drawn, drawn. Like in the wisdom of Kabbalah, where everything is connected from the beginning to the end. So what we're saying here is we don't want to use the way that we talk about Kabbalah in all of the other fields of knowledge or everything else that we study. The the language that we use for Kabbalah is specific for Kabbalah, for talking about spiritual things. And the way that everything is interconnected and everything is from everything connects to everything else in Kabbalah doesn't necessarily work across all fields of knowledge. Here in Kabbalah and spiritual things, everything is connected from beginning to end. But if we try to do that in other fields, things would get very confused. And that's why we don't have the freedom here 
to change between the different terms that we have or between good and bad. So we have to always use the correct term for the correct concept. And whenever we do talk about a branch, we have to widen our perspective about it, mean, meaning talk about every aspect of it until we know the exact measure and limits of what branch we're talking about. So let's say we're talking about Olamatsilut. We have to talk about every aspect of Olamatsilut until we know exactly where it begins, where it ends, if it begins or it ends. And until we know everything about it before we can move on, because if we're if we're not one hundred percent clear, we're gonna get lost. Those that have not yet had their eyes opened with the visions of the heavens, and they still are not familiar with these branches of this world. They're not familiar with their with the branches' connection back to the spiritual. They're like blind people that are wandering in the dark and like feeling along a wall. They will not understand a single word the way it's supposed to be understood, the way it, the way it's truly supposed to be understood. What does that mean? Meaning, without this knowledge, without the knowledge of how of the root of everything, how everything began, everything that comes out of it, a person cannot possibly understand properly. Every word that we're going to use here, every term, is the name of a branch with respect to its source. So if they get the explanation from some wise man, from someone who understands this, that decide that decides on his own to use a regular spoken language to talk about this. Which is like translating from one language to another. From the language of branches to spoken to spoken word. So the only way for people who aren't familiar themselves with how all of this works is to hear it from someone who does understand it. And that on that person is the responsibility to translate well from the language of branches to the spoken word. And Rav Ashtag is saying here that my, my effort, my, all of my work in, this, in these explanations is to explain the ten sfirot, the ten spiritual levels, according to that which the Ari wrote, uh, based on their uh, spiritual purity, that are spread through all 
things. Everything that you can observe, the ten sefirot are there, spread throughout. So that any beginner can approach this knowledge without failing uh, or making a mistake anywhere. With this understanding of the ten sefirot, an opening will be created also to know and to and to see how to understand all the other uh, all the other topics in this knowledge. So that was the intro to this deeper look. Before, so we're gonna we're quoting the Ari again. One before the emanated were emanated before all the emanated things were emanated. And the created things were created. There was an upper simple light, like we've mentioned before, that was filling all of uh, existence. We need to explain these things. You're probably thinking right now, but we just spent several classes explaining these things. So what do we need this for? Again, a lot of this is going to sound a little bit like review. But we're going to go, every topic that we did, we're going to take it and open it up to go even deeper. Before the worlds were emanated, how was there even the concept of a space for existence to exist? That, the, that this simple light was filling. How, so before anything existed, how did the space for something to fill exist? And also with this idea of wanting to contract so so that the so that the light can come out and uh, come out and do its action. How, how what, what about what's with this desire? Because it seems from the from the language of the book. That there was already some sort of lack. God forbid. There was, there was no lack in the endless, but it seems like there was, because if there was no lack, then why would there be a desire to contract and then for all of this to happen? Remember, because all of this was, it didn't happen like, you know, the Big Bang, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, I hear people say, and I, I used to think this as well, the Big Bang is very similar to, the to the tzimtzum, you know, we had big, just light filling everything, tiny point, and this tiny point rapidly expanded and created everything. I used to think that that was a good analogy. I no longer do because of this. Everything about the tzimtzum, the all in sof, everything that we've been studying so far, was with a plan in mind. It didn't just happen. It was on purpose. So if it was on purpose, then it seems from the language of the book that. There had there was something missing that the light wanted something more the vessel wanted something more that wasn't there. God forbid one should think like that, but it seems like that. So we have to explain why it's not like that. Also, this midpoint that we talked about, which is where the contraction happened, shu It's an amazing. It's a big wonder. What's what's so amazing about this midpoint? 
We already said there's no beginning or end. How do we know this? How is there a middle if there's no beginning and end? Seems like a good question to me. So, the Ravashak is saying that these things, the answers to these things is deeper than the depths of the sea. And therefore, we have to explain it. Let's go to the first topic. There is no thing in existence that isn't included in the endless. Even the opposites, what we see as opposites, good and bad, full, empty, all of these things that we see as opposites are actually both included, they're together in the endless, in the, in the, in the endless and in the essence of the creator, in the secret of Echad Yachid Umeyuchad. He is one, he is unique, he, he is one, he is alone, and he is unique. That's the translation of the words echad yachid umiyuchad. But we're going to go deeper now. There is no existence, there is no identity in the world. Whether it's observable by our senses, or whether we can, whether it's not really observable by our senses, but our our mind's eye can see it which isn't already included in the Creator. Because they all come to us, every idea you've ever had, every weird dream you've ever had, everything you can see, everything you can't see, all come to us through the Creator. And there isn't anything that can give of itself what it doesn't already have. And this idea has already been explained well in the books of Kabbalah. But we have to understand that these, these ideas that, are, that seem separate to us or opposite good, bad, full, empty again, big, small all these ideas or concepts that we see as separate or as opposites, through this idea that there's there's the concept of wisdom and the concept of sweetening, which we'll, again we'll get into. The, so wisdom and Sweetening or sweetness are two concepts that are separate from each other, and we'll get into the definition specifically of Chokhmah and Mitikut, but the, the short version is like this. Chokhmah is the light of wisdom, which is, if you remember, and if you don't remember, please go back and watch that video, the stronger light, where if, the ves- if, a, if a vessel receiving the light of wisdom isn't big enough or cannot hold the light of wisdom that's coming, it looks like judgment. So the vessel, it burns the vessel. Metikut is the sweetening of that judgment, which is the idea of all the chasadim, the light of the light of mercy. So all the chokhmah, the light of wisdom, 
by itself, if we don't have the right vessel, can seem like judgment. And then the way to sweeten it, the way to, uh, the way to make it in a way that the vessel can receive it, is to add in all the chassidin, the light of mercy. So these two concepts, light of wisdom, light of mercy, seem separate to us because, you know, what's, what, how do we see judgment? Bad things are happening in the world. COVID, hurricanes, earthquakes. These all seem like bad things in, in their physical manifestation. And then there are the things that we see as good. People get saved from stuff. Uh, people find cures for things. We see those things as good. So, but we, we see those two things as opposites in our world. What else do we see as separate? The entity doing something and the action itself we see as separate. Because, you know, logically, from, 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 our, from our point of view in this world, me and the action I'm doing by picking this up, the action is separate from me. The action is not part of me. I did it. But it's not my, it's not part of my identity. So, and even more so, these opposites, the sweet and bitter, good and bad, they all have their own definitions, they all, they all seem separate. But, by the Creator, the wisdom and enjoyment and sweetness and bitter and spicy and the person doing the action or the entity doing the action and the action itself and everything else that we see as separate or opposite everything is included as one it's not that it's all there. It's all there as if it's the same thing in this upper simple light, in the endless. Without being able to recognize any sort of separation between them. They are in this idea of one, alone, and unique. So now we're going to define these terms. So one, oneness. So one, is telling us that everything is equal. Yachid, alone, So, even when the light is drawn from the endless, we have the endless light now, everything is still included there. Meaning it's all still in one uniqueness, all together. In one singularity. And unique, so, what's unique about this? This endless does all of these actions. Even though, so, all these actions come from, all these things happen from one force, from one energy. And they all return to this idea of a singularity. That this, this singular entity, this entity of singular form, swallows all the other forms that are seen through its actions. 
בלאו כל מוחה סביל דה. And it's a very, it's this idea of something very uh, narrow. And not every mind is, is capable of understanding it. וכן פירש לנו הרמב"ן ז"ל. And that's why רבי משה בן נחמן, or Nachmanides from English speakers, explained to us, על עניין אחדותו יתברך בסוד אחד, יחיד ומיוחד. So רמב"ן, or Nachmanides, explained to us this idea of אחד יחיד ומיוחד. וזהו לשונו, and this is what he said, בפירושו על ספר יצירה, this is what he said, so he, רמב"ן wrote a explanation of a book called ספר יצירה, and this is what he wrote there. יש הפרש בין אחד ויחיד ומיוחד, there is a difference between one, singular, and unique. What's the difference? שם מתפרש, כשהוא מתייחד לפועל בכוח אחד, נקרא מיוחד. When something become, when the creator becomes unique in order to do a singular action, he's called unique. What, do you, what does that mean? Meaning, when the creator is focusing on one aspect, for example, uh, it's written about the splitting of the sea that Elohim did it. Elohim is one of the names of God. So that one action through that one aspect of God would be, would be under the category of Meyuchad. And when he divides himself to do all these things, every single piece is called singular. And when it's all equal, it's called one. So that was still a little bit esoteric, a little bit hard to understand. So Rav Ashlag helps us understand further. Uh, he becomes unique in order to do this one action. What does that mean? When, when the action seems to have a good result, when God does something that we see as good, that's, when, that's the aspect of unique. Because God does these unique miracles that, we, that are objectively good for everyone. Resurrection of the dead, freeing people from slavery, saving people from certain death. All those things, I think everyone would agree, seem good. So when God does those actions, that's the aspect of uniqueness. And when he divides to do all of his actions, what does that mean? That the actions are different from one another. How? When we observe that things are happening and some of them look good and some of them look bad, we see a separation between them. אז נקרא יחיד, מפני שלכל פעולותיו המשונות יש להן תוצאה יחידה להיטב. And this is the hardest one for most people to swallow. When things happen, whether, whether we, and we see them as either good or bad, each one of them is called יחיד, they're called singular. Why? Because they're all for a singular purpose. Whether we see it as good or bad, it doesn't matter. They're all for a singular purpose. What is that purpose? To do good. 
So the end of the road of whatever is happening is always for the good. And it's and we find that the creator or the the essence of the creator, the emanator, whatever whatever you'd like to call it, stays the same, stays singular, no matter what type of action he's doing, no matter how we see the action. And when everything's equal, he's called one. That oneness is talking about the essence of the Creator. All is equal there. Remember, we talked about the endless, that everything is equal. There is no separation between anything. There's no big, small, great, lesser, none of that. Everything is equal. That's called oneness. And from there came everything that we see as opposites. But everything has its root in a place where there is no separation between anything. And like Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, or Maimonides, said, The person who knows the knowledge and the results from this knowledge are all one. Because the Creator's knowledge is greater than ours and his ways and his ways are greater than ours. Meaning, in our world, you have a person who knows something, is separate from the thing that he knows, is separate from all of the observations or logic that he go that he goes and does out of that, which uh Mada literally translates to science. So you know, we have people that see things so they know what happens because they saw it, but not necessarily can they make all these logical things from it or do experiments on it and then come to a fact at the end. So all these entities are separate in our world. With the Creator, it's all one. So the last topic we're going to do today is there's two aspects to the receiving of to the receiving of things. There's before the actual receiving and there's after it's been received. Go out and learn from those that ate the man or the manna, meaning the the food that fell from the sky for the Israelites while they were in the desert. Because it's called bread from the sky. Why is it called bread from the heavens? Because it did not, it did not um, materialize fully through the through the physical um, clothing of this world. And our and our sages teach us that every person who ate it tasted what they wanted to taste. So if everybody tasted what they wanted to taste, that means that within it, there had to be opposite flavors. Some people like spicy, some people like sweet, salty, bitter, sour. Everyone likes different things. So if everybody tasted what they wanted to taste, that means it had to have opposite flavors within it. One person tasted sweet. And somebody else wanted to taste spicy or bitter. 
אשר המן בעצמו, the man itself, היה בהכרח כלול משני ההפוכים יחד, had to have both of the opposites together. כי כלום יש לך נותן מה שאין בו, because nothing can give of itself what it doesn't already have inside. So if the man gave a sweet flavor, it means I had a sweet flavor inside of it. If the man gave a spicy flavor, it means I had a spicy flavor inside of it. How can you have two opposite things in one, in one subject? So it has to be that he has both inside of it. What does that mean? The physical receiver, the, the physical vessel, can differentiate what it wants. And through this concept, you'll understand every spiritual thing. It in itself is singular and simple, but it has within it all the different things that exist. But when it arrives at the vessel, which is physical and bordered, it has its limits. Then the receiver gives it its specific separate form, which, is, which makes it different from all the other forms, which are together when it's still in a spiritual context. Through this, we have, now we have two categories of the shefa, of the sustenance or the light, whatever you want to call it, that comes down from the Creator. The form of the existence of this sustenance, of this light, goodness that comes from above, while it's still up there, before it arrives at the stage of being received, it's still a simple overarching light, meaning it, it encompasses everything. Once the sustenance, the light, arrives at the vessel, then the light changes its form, or one form comes out of the light, to fulfill the desire of the receiver. Let's bring this down to something practical that we can take away into the week. Every single person gets exactly what they want. I know there's a song, you can't always get what you want. From a Kabbalistic perspective, the Creator, the universe, the essence of the Creator, whatever you'd like to call it, is constantly giving everything. What do we receive? Exactly what we're ready to receive. What are we ready to receive? Our desire. We've talked already about the desire being the exact measure of the vessel. So if in a person's life things aren't going so well, they need to look inside. Why do they desire for this to happen? When things are amazing for a person, their desire is, their desire is large. Their desire is for more. So what we're saying here is that the light, the giver, the essence of the creator, 
is always the same. It has everything. What makes the differences? The vessels down here. So when the Israelites ate the man in the desert, person who wanted sweet, their vessel, their desire inside their vessel was for sweet things. So that's exactly what they got. Because everything was already included in the man. Well, what, when was the differentiation? It's almost like by touching the vessel, there's this ID card, and then the light knows which, which packet to give. So that's how everything works. Whatever the vessel desires is exactly what it gets. Have a great week.